Welcome to Apply Filters, the podcast all about WordPress development. Now, here's your hosts, Pippin Williamson and Brad Tunar. Welcome to episode 35. Today, Pippin and I will be talking about what we've been up to. I'll talk about my ordeal moving from one email platform to another, and Pippin will talk about Easy Digital Downloads 2.3. Pippin, where have we been, man? It's been like, what, a month and a half? <laughs> uh, something like that. Uh, whenever we last talked with Patrick in episode 34, which was sometime after Pressnomics, so yeah, it's been at least a month, maybe a month and a half. Um, we've been traveling mostly, so right after we got back from Pressnomics, I think, I know at least I did, uh, I needed a little bit of just relaxing time, kind of took things easy for a little bit, and then after that I left for a week and went to Chicago. We had a company meetup with my brother's company, who I do some some work for every now and then and have been involved with for the last couple of years. So I spent a week in the cold, cold Chicago, then I came home and... We normally would have recorded an episode right of that, but then, where did you go? <laughs> yeah, so after Pressnomics, I flew right to Vermont, and uh, we did the Big Snow Tiny Conf right, right after that. Uh, for So went snowboarding, talked business for for two or three days in Vermont. We got a huge dump of snow water there, so we had powder in snowboarding, so it was, it was pretty sweet. It, it really, the house was amazing, too, and it couldn't have went any better, really. Oh, that's good. How many people did you end up having there? Uh, what do we have? Twelve, including uh, the organizers, including myself and Brian. So twelve total. Excellent. Yeah. So it was actually one guy didn't make it. So no, it ended up being eleven. That's right. So yeah, yeah. It was it was really great. Um, the only thing, the funny thing, the one of the I I asked the group while we were there, like um, if if we if we should eat out more often because we only eat out one night we only go out for for a dinner on the last night and they said actually everyone pretty much agreed that they would rather stay in <laughs> like eat in because I mean, it's cold out right and you, so cold yeah so when i when i was in chicago we kind of did the same thing um we they they have a studio space there uh that has an extra room where everybody was sleeping. We kind of had like a bunk room. It has a f- full bathroom, full kitchen, so we can live there practically. <laughs> and most of the time we were there, it was really, really cold. And there's like I don't know, 15 or 20 restaurants within a two or three block walking distance. And even then, we're like, you know, let's uh, let's order something in. Let's make food <laughs> yeah. here. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to go outside. Um, Not so, when it hurts your face. Yeah. And then, and then after big snow, I came home for a week, and then I uh, went to Mexico with my wife and my five-month-old son uh, because it's the first real vacation my wife's had for a while, so it just made sense to 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 go away. Uh, I certainly didn't need it after being in Phoenix and in Vermont, but but it was still nice to get away from the winter here. So I'm sure. Now, did you take the whole time off and and actually not work at all there, or was it kind of a workcation? It was kind of a workation. I probably put in, on average, two hours a day, probably. Um, so I, I put in... Compared to a normal day, that's barely anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I basically just kept on top of email. <laughs> that's yep. basically it. So, anyways. Well, very cool. What have you been up to uh, work-wise? Um, well, for the last uh, month or so, and I know even like over the period of the last couple episodes, we've been busy working on EDD 2.3, 
Um, we're now getting really, really close to having that wrapped up. We have we have we shipped our first beta out at the beginning of last week, and I uh, at the same time as we shipped it out, I put it up on pippinsplugins.com. So pippinsplugins.com has been running uh, the first beta version of 2.3 for the last week and a half or so, just kind of as a real testing, uh, a real world test for the the new version. Uh, and so far, it's been running really smoothly. Cool. Um, and so over the last week, we've been working through bugs reported with the beta and getting things finished up, and we're hoping to get it all ready to ship, for, uh, I think, by March 10. And we're getting ready. The whole team is flying in for a team meetup uh, around PrestigeConf, which is happening uh, the end of this week This week uh, in Vegas. So the whole team is flying to Vegas. We've rented a house, and we're all going to stick around there for a few days, and we're hoping to really finalize the 2.3 release while we're there. Um, this release has been, it's been a lot of fun for a couple of reasons. Number one, because it's the first major release where I've had a co-lead developer. Um, mm-hmm. Chris Glasowski came on January 1 as co-lead developer, and we've done a couple of point releases since then, but this is the first major release. So there's a ton of new code that's been written in here from Chris. Uh, we've introduced a, a really big new customer management UI with some really significant improvements there, as well as some of the underlying APIs for that. Um, and it's been, there's been a fun um, kind of trial for backwards compatibility with some of these things that we've done. So there's there's four, uh, no, three major changes that we've made in 2.3 that I kind of want to talk about real quick related to backwards compatibility. One of them is the customer management UI, and there's some stuff that we have to do in there. Another one is signed URLs that have actual signatures and tokens on them for security reasons. And then one is we've modified how we store taxes. So each one of these has had a repercussion for backwards compatibility, um, either with just just sites um, as they are or with specific extensions um, or specific hosting environments. So for the customer management UI, we, we had a bug in the last few versions where customers wouldn't have payments properly connected to their account, maybe because they purchase with a guest account. Like, they purchase as a guest even though they had a user account on the site, oh, and so okay. then they wouldn't get connected. Um, so we've introduced a new upgrade routine that goes through and makes sure it goes through every single purchase and every single customer on the site and ensures that everything's connected the way that it needs to be. Um, and so making sure that that kind of upgrade routine works even on giant sites is a little bit challenging. <laughs> um, something that's kind of funny with that is our upgrade routine, we got it really, really good, I think. And it actually was running too fast and was causing perception issues for users in that when the upgrade routine was running, they didn't see the indication that it was running because it was going too fast. So we actually had to intentionally slow it down by like 50 milliseconds on every <laughs> single step and then had to show an indicator that says, you are on step five of 272. Because we had people open tickets that said, um, it's doing stuff, but I think it broke. Right. It didn't actually break. They just didn't realize it was still going. Um, did, you, kind of... did you take into account like sites that are going to be really busy? Is there... Like, yep. is it going to slow them down, or, or how do It's going to slow... It will slow down a little bit, uh, hmm. but it shouldn't cause anything significant. So... So you can just the suggest biggest, that they do it during their... their like, if you have a really large time. site, I would suggest doing it at a slow point, period. 
Yeah. The good thing is there's a couple of things that we've done with the upgrade routine as well. Um, number one is that if it fails at any point, it keeps track of where it is and it can be restarted at any time. And it will tell you if it fails. Hmm. Um, so if, let's say, for example, it's going and you close the page or your server dies for some other reason, mm-hmm. um, unlikely, unlikely that it would be tied to the upgrade routine. The next time you load your site, it's going to tell you that this upgrade started but didn't finish, and it's going to go back and finish it for you. Nice. Um, so it's pretty robust. So did you yeah. did you guys build this like with reusability in mind? Are you going to like use yep. this again? We, in the we have a general API that we can use, reuse any time that we want. Ah, nice. Um, and it's actually it's the same API that we've had for the last five or six releases. We've just been iterating on it each time and improving it. Um, we've also now, we used to store our upgrades. The way that we knew if an upgrade needed to be done was simply based on the version number in the database. So it's database version 2.7 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was always it was always the same as the main plugin version. So this is version 2.3. It was database version 2.3. So if we saw that the database was 2.2, we needed to run an upgrade routine if there was an upgrade for that version. Now we've changed this a little bit so that we're actually going to start logging every single upgrade routine that happens, and we can see the exact routines that happened. Um, the reason for this is, let's say that there's one user that insta- starts using EDD on 2.0, upgrades, and is now on 2.3. Another user installs on 2.3 and doesn't need to do the upgrade routine. Well, if one of them runs into an issue, it can be really important to know whether or not they've actually gone through the upgrade routine Maybe for whatever reason, the notice that said they needed a routine, needed to run it, didn't show. Well, we're, we're now tracking whether or not an upgrade routine has been run, um, and so that we can go back and see exactly which ones they've run and which ones they haven't. Uh, it's also good for times if you have multiple routines that need to run in a single release. Um, so, for example, this, this version has one upgrade routine for customers and a second upgrade routine for taxes. Um, depending on whether or not your site supports taxes. In previous versions, if you ran one, it would actually run both of them simultaneously. It just didn't show you that. And now we've kind of separated them out so that they run separately. You can run them at any time you want. You can run them independently. And then if you ever have any problems, if we're going in, like if the support team is going in looking at it, we can actually identify which ones have been run, which ones completed. Cool. Which would be nice. Yeah. So, um, what what about the the signed URLs thing? So, is that is that about like protecting your file downloads from just being publicly accessible? Is that what that's about? Or? Um, not entirely, but sort of. So it is related to the file download URLs that we generate. Um, first of all, fun little fact: this is actually the longest outstanding issue that's ever been opened on EDD, <laughs> um, and we we finally fixed we finally finished it and we finally closed it out. Um, it's been like two and a half years, something like that. Nice. Um, you, yeah. You guys are, your, your tickets are starting to look like WordPress core. Uh, I know, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, well. Um, so what it is, so previously, the file URLs that we generated, were they were secure in a sense, but they were really easy to manipulate. So it, the, the URLs in plain text would contain the file ID that you're downloading, the product ID, the purchase receipt number, the email address, and the expiration date encoded in Base64. So what that meant was that if you wanted to, number one, it just it wasn't great because we were re- revealing things like email addresses in a way that we didn't necessarily need to do. 
Um, number two, it meant that if you wanted to, you could actually tweak the expiration date on a, on a download URL. All you had to do was generate a new expiration date, base64 encode it, and drop it into the URL, and you have a new URL. Nice. It, which was kind of nasty. Um, <laughs> and we've honestly, we, we avoided fixing it for so long because it was we knew we were going to fix it in this one in signed URLs, so we were going to do we we're doing it all the way or nothing at all. Um, so we went all the way, and we finally fixed it. Uh, but so now, a, a, number one, a URL is about 75 characters shorter or nice. so, something like that. They're much, much shorter. They look prettier. They also cannot be manipulated anymore at all. So if you manipulate them, the token no longer validates. It's right. no longer a valid signed URL. Are you using yeah. HMAC uh, for that, or do you know? Uh, we, I think out of the out of the box we're using HMAC. I'd have to go back and look. But we set it up, actually, so if somebody wanted to, they can change what's used. Nice. Um, we put some filters on there so you can control which, one, which method you use. Um, it turned out that this had some really problematic um, backwards compatibility issues primarily with extensions. Hmm. So due to the way that uh, URLs were validated before, we had some extensions that were hooking into the file download process, maybe to apply a, a, a watermark to a PDF or a watermark to an image, um, or maybe to in, uh, redirect to a different file or extra validation or something like that. Hmm. Um, the way that those extensions were doing it was not very good. And it wasn't their fault. It was because we didn't make a, we didn't give a very good way for them to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, those extension a whole bunch of extensions were were doing stuff during the download process based on variables in the URL. So the the product ID, the file ID, the email address, etc. All of these existed as query args in the URL. Well, when we replaced them with new signed URLs, those variables didn't exist anymore. And so every single one of these extensions broke. Hmm which was kind of nasty um, and obviously not good. So we had to get really kind of creative and figure out how to backfill some of those super globals and make sure that those are still available after we validated a URL without actually putting them back into the URLs themselves. Oh, um, yeah. How did just you do so it? that extensions still work. <laughs> was it? How did you do it? <laughs> well, we, after we validate a URL, basically we can, extra, we can extract data from it because we now have the associated purchase record and things like that, right. and we can actually just backfill those super globals. Oh, I see. I see. In the and same way as, the, as if they were in the URL, but they're not actually in the URL. Right, and then um, any hooks fire after that, and so it right. just looks like so, the so old for example, way of doing things. Get file ID equals one, and we do that before the hook runs, it doesn't matter that it doesn't exist in the URL because we've set it up. Right. Um, so we had to do some kind of creative and really kind of ugly things like that just to deal with our past mistakes yeah. to make it so they didn't break. And so and we did. We, we succeeded. Um, so we've been now extensively testing it to make sure that everything still works. So we had a big list of about 15 different extensions that all had to work flawlessly, both with old URLs and the new URLs. So one of the other things that's kind of... Um, problematic about changing the URL structure is that your old URLs still have to work because we don't have any idea how long the expiration date is on some of those URLs that already exist. Right. So Out of the box, we set up 24 hours on download URLs. But we know that people can set them up to be 10 years, 15 years in the future. (laughs) So we can't just assume that there's no valid URLs anymore. We have to support those still. Right. Um... And so, and so you do. We did. So you de- de- yeah. detect the old format and 
and yeah, basically we, code. We, have a, <laughs> we have a condition that says, if is legacy URL, process it this way. Otherwise, do it this way. Right. Um, That's awesome, so, though. I mean, like you. I'm really. I'll be honest. It's the, the one issue that I'm the most happy with. I think simply because it was really challenging to get around and not break anything. Right. And as of now, we're aware of only one extension that is broken beyond repair. Uh, and the reason for that is it, it's a plugin that completely overwrite, overwrites our entire download process, like removes all of our hooks, removes everything, and redoes it. And there was no way for us to to do it. Right. <laughs> like there's no way around it. Um, was part of, news, was part of was the that? reason that that this issue was the longest outstanding? Is it part of it, partly because of the complexity of of making yeah, it? Yeah, it was. Compatible? It's a bitch to deal with. Right. And so it's very easy to be like, oh, I don't want to work on that today. Okay, I don't want to work on it today. I don't want to work on it today. Yeah. And you keep going, and then you get a week from the release date, and you're like, oh, well, damn, we can't do this yet. So we punt it to the next major release. So right. for, for 2.3, we got together. We decided we're going to work on this day one, and it will be tested in the first beta, the second beta, the third beta, and everything in between. Nice. Because that's pretty much what you have to do if you're going to get through a bigger issue like that. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we kind of like, I try to promote a culture in our team of like, of owning these things and like dominating them, <laughs> you know, like, like making it like, like this is the challenge and this is awesome that we can. I love the challenge of yeah. backwards compatibility. Yeah. Um, I think, I think... I, yeah. And you're, it sounds like just, I think, I think you're doing a talk coming up soon about backwards compatibility yeah we've got one at um wordcamp st louis coming up in two weeks three weeks and then another one at wordcamp san diego no not wordcamp san diego at a loop conf in may so is this something like is backwards compatibility something that you've like more recently embraced as something that you you love to conquer now or is um, it like a little something? bit of both i mean i think backwards compatibility has always been something that at least as a, as a team for EDD, we've always been interested in always maintaining backwards compatibility with no exceptions. Right. Um, if there's a way that we can, if there's a way that we can maintain backwards compatibility, we're going to maintain it, because no matter the reasons for the backwards compatibility, a broken site for a user is a crappy situation, and so it is our job to work on preventing that. We can we can argue and justify until the sun goes down whether or not we should still support outdated technologies such like PHP 5.2 or something like that. Um, but in the end of the day, that doesn't really matter to the user. They don't really give a damn. And if if our system breaks on their site, regardless of whose fault it truly is, that's a bad experience for them. Mm-hmm. So it's I think it's our job to make sure that we try and prevent that as best as we possibly can. Now, that aside, I also love the challenge I think looking at something and your first reaction is, well, damn, how the heck am I going to do this? Because you, you immediately think, okay, there's no way to get around this. Um, how could I possibly make this still work? But if you look at it and you kind of step back, I'm not really convinced that there's ever a, a backwards compatibility issue you can't solve in some way or other. And so I like taking the challenge and learning from it. You, you both get to learn like what you screwed up on in the past or what you could have done better, and you might learn cool new tricks. So just as a really quick example, and then I'd, I'd love to move on and hear what you've been doing some more. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2.3, uh, 
we've also changed um, how taxes are stored on payment records. So early, early on, I made a really stupid mistake and dropped taxes in a serialized array of other data, hmm. which was stupid, really, really stupid. Um, it made it so I couldn't query on the taxes, I couldn't do easy calculations, we couldn't do a lot of things like that. So we've changed that in 2.3. We've fixed it. The problem is that we know for a fact that there are a lot of extensions that are retrieving the taxes and setting taxes on payments, um, such as extensions that integrate with other tax systems like Taximo or the EU VAT API or things like that. They are setting and retrieving taxes from that serialized array using the standard get post meta calls and update post meta. So we had to get creative and we had to go intercept those queries to get post meta and update post meta to pull, to make sure that anytime that they retrieve information or set information, it comes from our new custom, the, the new way that we're storing the metadata, not the old way. Um, so even though the extensions are technically doing it wrong now or doing it in an outdated method, it still works. Nice. And I think maintaining that kind of consistency and making sure that we don't break things both for users or developers is really important. Nice. Yeah. And it's a fun challenge. It is fun. I, I enjoy it. it. It's also satisfying to know. Oh, that, yeah. You know, you're because if if people don't notice, then you, you've won. You've you done know? something good. <laughs> exactly. As much as I would love for a bunch of people to install EDD 2.3 and just be like, it's great, it's awesome, you guys did awesome work. At the same time, I would love to hear nothing. Yeah. Because if we hear nothing, that means nothing broke, or at least nothing drastic. Yeah, exactly. So, anyway, um, enough about what we've been doing. What have you been doing? Uh, well, we've got... Uh, uh... Ian in New Zealand's working on the multi-site tools add-on for MigrateDB Pro. That's what he, he's been Ooh. cracking on. And what is what is that going to do? Uh, well, the, we're taking a phased approach to it. So the first uh, the first release will just be an export. You'll be able to export a subsite of a multi-site install as an SQL file that can then be just imported uh, as a single site somewhere else. Very cool. So that's uh, that's we have a like a doc already that kind of can you can step through to get that same result, but this will just be like one click and you get that subsite out as a single site install. So it's been it's been a pretty highly requested thing for us. Uh, and then uh, Ian and Ashley in the UK are working on the pro version of the Amazon S3 plugin. So we've been cracking away at that and getting the, U, the UI right and stuff. Do you guys uh, have an expected release date for that yet? No, we don't do release dates. <laughs> well, I mean, you don't necessarily, not necessarily like a true release date that you're publishing, but maybe some sort of time frame. Like, is this something yeah. you're looking for a month, two months, a year? Probably about two months from now, like in that in that uh, area. I mean, I haven't even started the marketing site yet, which takes a while. Mm -hmm. So I really have to start that soon. Sure. Uh, so, uh, and I wish, like, I'm kind of two weeks behind because I've been working on this other thing. Um, I started kind of reorganizing our, our email lists that we have. Uh, we use Campaign Monitor. Mm -hmm. um, uh, to manage like all of our, so I've got a ton of 
not a ton, but like maybe eight lists in campaign monitor that, you know, one comes from one plugin. So when someone submits the opt-in form in one plugin, it goes to this list. So I can kind of easily track where the subscribers are coming from. And so I wanted to kind of reorganize this in a better way. Um, and I also wanted to uh, allow people to unsubscribe from certain lists and not from all lists, sure. which, which is kind of the way that it was set up. Um, so, um, so we decided, so I, I just, you know, trying to figure out a way to do this in campaign monitor. Cause I, I hadn't, you know, done that kind of granular reorganization before. Uh, and the, the whole reason for this is because we started publishing more general articles on our blog. Uh, and I didn't want people that are just interested in news about our products to get annoyed and just unsubscribe from all of right. our lists, right? Right. And you then, don't you don't want to annoy someone with one developer post and then not give them any more product posts. Exactly. Exactly. So there's a pretty big, there was a big risk factor there that I wanted to mitigate against. Um, and so I you know started playing around with the campaign monitor forms and. Uh, turns out like I couldn't create a form that subscribed people to multiple lists in one form submission because the way the forms work, uh, it overwrites, like it just overwrites the setting, right? So for example, uh, say, say you were subscribed to all of our lists except for one, right? Uh, say, uh, WordPress development tips, right? Uh, and then you sub submit the form to subscribe to WordPress development tips. Well, it'll overwrite your subscription settings and remove you from all the other lists. Lovely. Yeah. So that's how it works. That's, and uh, I fa also found a really, like in the testing I was doing, I found a really weird uh, quirk with their forms is that you could overwrite any subscriber, any subscribers fields. So for example, you could over like, if I knew you were subscribed to this email, uh, this list and campaign monitor, I could just submit the form to subscribe you to the list and put a different first name in. Let's say as a subscriber, you can do that. Uh, no, anybody can do it. Anyone. Right. So, like, if I go to your, if I go to the form and I know your email and yes. I know that you're subscribed, I can update your preferences. Yes. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, just just by submitting the form again with with the the email address of the subscriber, it'll overwrite whatever whatever's in there already. So if I make the you know if I put you know your email address and then I put the first name as asshole, <laughs> right? It will overwrite your first name field as asshole, and then the next time you get an email, it'll say hi asshole, <laughs> right? Awesome. Uh, so I didn't like that. Uh, so I reported it to campaign monitor, but they were like, eh, whatever. It hasn't, I guess it's not really been a problem that people have either noticed or have exploited. Yeah, so. but the moment that somebody, <laughs> some asshole does notice it, they can do some serious damage. I know. I know. I mean, it's not hard to identify a campaign monitor form, right? It's just, you know, you can, you can tell by the URL that that's where it's posting to, right? So... Yeah, it's definitely open to vulnerability. But um, anyway, I, I asked them, like, is there at least a way that I could subscribe, uh, 
you know, to to multiple lists and not overwrite the subscription setting. And they said, no, you have to like do some API programming. And I was like, oh, well, if I have to do that, I'm just going to move to a better platform because, you know, I've, I've been kind of looking for an excuse to move to something that's more flexible and more modern in terms of email marketing. Uh, right. So, you know, Campy Monitor and MailChimp, they're great when you're first starting out, but they don't have like some of the, you know, the more advanced features like email mark, uh, marketing automation stuff. That's that's pretty pretty awesome these days uh and and you know so i've moved over to drip is basically how's that working out for you i've never actually used drip at all uh it's it's been great it's it's really really great platform one of the things you can do is tag your subscribers so like you could tag all your customers as customers and 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 do those kinds of things and they have events so you know there's just there's just more flexibility to the platform so that's great it's it's pretty good. Another thing I've done though <laughs> is uh, so the big problem that I, I faced here uh, moving from Campaign Monitor to Drip is that I have a bunch of opt-in forms all over the place, and some of them are inside plugins, and some of them are just links to opt-in pages on Campaign Monitor, and I can't really get rid of those or update them quickly and easily, right? Because right. uh, I have to do a release of every plugin that I have. Um, and then I, I don't even know the opt-in pages. I don't even know how that would work at all. Did so you anyway. figure out a solution? If not, I have an easy answer for you. <laughs> I well, I, I, I took the hard, the hard solution, but what was, what's the easy one? <laughs> Mine, my answer would be to ignore it, ignore those forms in terms of like, don't go and try and update every single one of them. Just leave them there. Mm-hmm. Maybe like update the ones that are easy to access that you immediately know where they are, et cetera. And then use something like Zapier. So anytime someone subscribes to Campaign Monitor, just move them over to Drip. Yep, good, good idea. I've tried it. <laughs> Did, oh, it didn't work. It wouldn't work. No, because really, yeah. Here's the problem with that. So that was the first thing I tried. Um, and the problem is in Campaign Monitor, the first name last name fields are stored as name. So one field, right? And in Drip. You, you have first name and last name fields. And Zapier can't do a simple operation of like splitting that name. Right. And, and then it just, it doesn't, that, that's not an option. Okay. Um, <laughs> more difficult, but still possible way. Um, drop them, go, use Zapier to go from campaign monitor to Google Docs to Drip. <laughs> like, it's crazy. But I, I appreciate you could do it. Yeah, I, Zapier, I, Zapier's insane. Yeah, but I, I do. I am with you that I wish it had some kind of parsing ability, just to be like, look, yeah. this system was dumb and didn't split my field the way it needed to split right. it for me. That'd be cool. Yeah, that would be cool, like a data transformation. Thing. Super awesome. Yeah, I'm sure that's on the radar some somewhere. Um, but so I I went I do what I usually do. <laughs> I scripted it, so I just took the campaign monitor SDK and the drip SDK. And I just mashed them together and wrote a sync script that every hour runs on my server. And then nice. co- copies, copies the, any new subscribers from campaign monitor over. So it just, drip. It, go, it goes, it goes to campaign monitor, finds the newest ones, pulls them down, sends them to drip. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, so that works. I, I basically built a little Zapier. <laughs> <laughs> nice. 
but uh, I but wonder it works. if you could have also done it um, with uh, webhooks. I don't know. I don't know if Campaign Monitor has webhooks or not. It does. I thought about that. I thought about using webhooks, uh, but the moment that they don't work, like so, if if it fires and you know the server doesn't receive it or something happens, then you kind of just lose that sub- subscriber. Whereas sure. this way, if the script fails or if it fails, you know, it'll get it next time. It'll get it next time. Yeah. So it's, that makes it's, it's got that uh, advantage. So I stuck. I went with that one. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's been my That's... journey. Hell of a journey, right? <laughs> are you Are you really liking Drip so far now? I am. It, it's great. I, I feel like I'm just starting though, right? Because I'm just I've just gotten Drip to where Campaign Monitor was, right? So, sure. Um, but I so, feel like I'm in a better a better spot. What made you choose? So, as somebody who, I, okay, I've worked with a lot of the newsletter systems and mm-hmm. email list in in like a basic form because I've done integrations on a basic level with most of them. What made you choose something like Drip over Mailchimp? So, even though I've done integrations with them, I've only used Mailchimp extensively. Right. So, what made you? What's great about Drip? Uh, well, you can. Uh... You can fire off, uh, so it's it's email marketing software, like automation, what is it? Marketing automation software, mm-hmm. right? Which yep. is not what MailChimp is. Like uh, They have it now. They have, yeah, they have something. Their automation built, stuff. They have some automation stuff built into it. But anyway, Drip is built basically as a kind of stripped down or kind of a light version of... Um, Oh, what's it called? The there's a big like a big company that's really expensive that does this stuff. I can't remember. Uh, is it like Customer IO? No, no. Customer IO is quite different because it's uh it's really for transactional stuff, right? Okay. Um oh, the it's eluding me right now. Infusionsoft. That's it. Yes. Okay, I know. Yes. Yes. But but you know, the price points on Infusionsoft are quite a bit higher than Drip. Um so you're basically getting like uh, a like slightly reduced feature set uh, in Drip, and so it's it's kind of like it's kind of like um, Infusionsoft for smaller businesses, basically. Um, so you get a lot of of nice marketing automation features. Um, for example, like if you so say someone subscribes to your list, right? You can start sending them an automated string of emails. Right, so you can send them like uh, like it's the sign up form could be like you know sign up for a crash course on uh, how to build your first WordPress plugin. Sure. Right, and then it would then Drip would send them a string of emails like based on that uh, okay. on a, on a certain schedule and allows you to set that up. Um, and then if maybe they become a customer or something, maybe then it like. It fires an event and switches them to like a different string of emails. You see, so, so that is actually very similar to the new Mailchimp automation stuff. I'm almost, sure it is almost identical. But you're right. You're right that Mailchimp did not used to have that. So yes. it's still something that's very new for a lot of people. Yeah, but that is awesome. Um, that's something that I want to get into a lot more in doing more email automation, um, mm-hmm. especially as like as as our email lists have grown, like. 
some t- because I am I am not an email marketer at all. I never have been. I really don't think I ever will be. But I can see its tremendous value. And as our list get bigger and bigger and bigger, I keep looking at it and thinking, man, what are we leaving on the table here by not making taking more advantage of it? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm. Yeah. I don't know how much I'll use those features, uh, but you know, it's just nice. For example, to be able to tag your subscribers and like know you know who are your customers or who are not and actually send you know tailored messaging to to that segment of, of your customer base right definitely um and you could tag like who's a customer of this product and who's a customer of that product you know you can get yeah it that that kind of stuff wasn't possible in campaign monitor so I don't know if MailChimp has tags or anything. They, they do now. As long as you're using, so out of the box, they don't. But if you use their MailChimp 360, e-commerce 360 API, right. uh, you get to store all purchase data. So anytime that somebody purchases something on, on any of our sites, um, they get added to a MailChimp list and they get their purchase information recorded. So I can go back at any time and say, I want to email every single person that purchased to, purchased software licensing within the last 30 days or at this time. Um, or I want to I email every single person that's ever purchased something or everybody that is a customer with a greater than $500 value or things like that. Ah, neat. Yeah, it, it's, we, it sounds like Drip and... or. It sounds like MailChimp's getting and and Dripper like really competing. <laughs> it sounds like they're really based, based on everything that I hear from from you and from others. They definitely have a lot of the similar features now, right? Uh, yeah, which is great. Competition's good. Yeah, for sure. Um, you want to talk about uh, password generator for Core? Yeah, I do. Um, so this is a this is in WordPress Core. Um, there is a ticket that I've been kind of babysitting for a while that will hopefully make it into version 4.2. We don't know if it will or not yet because it's still got some some things to figure out. Um, but basically, it is a it's for anybody who's interested. It's ticket 24633 in WordPress track, uh, and the idea is to allow site admins to generate and send passwords to users. So if you've ever dealt with, if, if you ever managed a site that has user accounts on it, you've probably had someone email you and say, I can't get in, reset password doesn't work, can you change my password for me? Well, y- as an admin, you really should never know what a user's password is, even if it's a temporary password. You shouldn't, you just shouldn't know. Um, and you should be able to generate them a strong password on the fly. So this ticket is based around the idea of adding the option to generate a strong password for any user at any time either editing their account, creating a new user account, et cetera. Um, and it's, I think it's getting close to where it might get at least part of it committed. Um, we've tried to separate it out into several components. So we've added a general JavaScript API to WordPress to generate a password that would then allow you to add a password generate button anywhere on the site you want, um, either through a plugin or in WordPress core itself. And then we're adding those password generators to the edit profile screen, to the add new user screen, to the registration screen, et cetera. Hmm. Um, and hopefully it's going to get committed. We'll see. Um, it's still milestone for 4.2, but it's not officially assigned as a task, so it's not guaranteed to go in yet. 
right? Is there been any pushback about, you know, oh, this should be in a plugin or? Well, it started as a plugin. Um, okay. So the original ticket was inspired by a plugin written by Jake Goldman called Simple User Password Generator, which does exactly this and allows you to generate a password. It's just a phenomenal little plugin. There's a couple of other ver variations on the plugin from other people. Um, and for anybody that manages a site with a lot of users, it's just super nice and valuable. Aside from the security aspect of not knowing your users' passwords, even when you reset them, it also just makes the, the process of resetting someone's password easier. Right. Because yeah. if you need to manually change it, instead of going in and typing in password 1234 or <laughs> going in somewhere and generating a random password, all you do is say, generate password, send via email, done. Right. I mean, when you create a new user right now, it generates a password for them, right? No, it doesn't. It doesn't? Nope. <sighs> what am if I you create of? a new user right now and invite them to the site, it will invite them, it will send them a link, and then... Well, they might get a temporary password then, but then they have to reset it. Um, that I'm not 100% sure on because I think it differs between multi-site and non-multi-site. Right. So I, I can't, I can't remember. Which which. I, I know that I was, we were just looking at this the other day with WooCommerce. If you, uh, if you have a certain setting turned on, uh, it doesn't show the password field on the checkout form, and it actually just auto-generates a, a password for them. Right, but that's a, I think that's WooCommerce, not WordPress yeah, Sports. I think, I think you're right, yeah. Because you can, I mean, there is a, there is a function in WordPress to generate a random password um, that oh, there are a lot of plugins that use it. We use it in EDD uh, with one of our EDD extensions where we basically do the same thing where it allows us to automatically register an account, and then for that, we generate a random password. Yeah. Cool. So this is a ticket that I would really love to see get into 4.2. Uh, it's been kind of inching along slowly since around 3.8, I think, uh, maybe 3.7. Um, so if anybody wants to go in, jump in, give some feedback on the UI, feedback on the API for it, please feel free. It's uh, ticket 24633. Cool. I've also been working on, uh, on WordPress core. And what have you been doing? Uh, just last Friday, we had our, our what is it? I don't know. Our company Your core contributor day. Core contributor day, <laughs> where I love like that every, idea still. yeah, everyone at at the Delicious Brains works on core, and uh, so the first thing I did is I went through all my existing kind of tickets that I've participated in, and and uh -huh. just made sure that the patches still applied cleanly against Trunk and. I had to update well, one because it didn't. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it made me realize you really do have to keep doing that. You, you know, you have to tend your tickets like you know, you're tending a garden or something. You know, <laughs> I know that just as like with an example of refreshing that patches, going back and doing that, like with this, this password generator ticket, um, it's got 29 patch versions on it, I think. Wow. And probably 15 or 20 of those were just for refreshes, yeah. just to make sure that it, as things changed in core, just to make sure it still applies. Yeah, because things get bad for the ticket if it doesn't apply cleanly anymore. Yeah, things move really quickly in core, and so you got to keep them up. Um, yeah. And honestly, it's probably one of the easiest ways to ensure a ticket actually gets merged into core at some point mm -hmm. because the easier job, the easier it is for one of the core committers to test it and patch it, the faster it's going to go in. Yeah, exactly. I also uh, jumped on a new ticket. Um, 
it's called the title is allow more specific image size editing and so the tickets really about adding so when you're editing an image uh, there's a little um, there's little radio buttons under on the in the sidebar underneath a title that says apply changes to so basically it the idea is you can apply these changes that you're making to the image to all image sizes or just the thumbnail or all sizes except thumbnail. That's the current way it is in core. And this ticket is about changing those radio buttons to really just show all the available image sizes as checkboxes. Oh and, man, that is an excellent, excellent idea. And, uh, and just, you know, so you could just choose exactly what images you want affected by the changes you're making. Uh, so I, I can't even think of the number of times when I've had an image that uh, we had, let's say there was an image size on the site, maybe it's like your featured post image, and you upload an image, and it just doesn't quite work no. for that image size. Yeah. And being able to edit just that size would be magnificent. Yeah, yeah, it's... I, I thought it was a great ticket when I looked at it. It's, it's been it's five years since it was opened, so it's it's an oldie. But uh, I thought you know maybe maybe now is the time we can get this thing. That would be awesome. And so let's see, does it have a, a finished patch that works? It had a, it had one patch uh, that was submitted five years ago when the ticket was opened and hasn't hasn't had an update since then, right? Uh, so I, I looked at it, and there was also a problem with the patch. It didn't take into account uh, additional image sizes. In fact, five years ago, there may have not even been additional image sizes. I don't know. <laughs> so Man, five years, five years quite... ago? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Probably <laughs> not. <laughs> if there were, they were pretty rudimentary. Yeah. So I, I had to... I had to uh, include that in in my patch so that it, it supports you know the custom image sizes that you add using the add image size i'm, uh, I'm looking at function. your patch and it's really not complicated no it's it's pretty it's pretty straightforward um very cool i i did add some notes about what i what i had done because there i think there are still some problems that need to be addressed mm-hmm. um i'm using the image size names choose filter <laughs> which is the, the filter um, that uh, the... So when you go to insert an image into a post, there's a little drop-down that, for the image sizes, so you can right. choose what image size you want to insert into the post. Well, that list, that drop-down list, is created by this filter, the image size names choose filter. Because if you know, if you know the add image size function at all, there is no label for an, an image size. Right. Right. So there's nothing to display. So we use this this filter to basically create a list of image na- or image size names. At some uh, point, that should probably get fixed. Yeah, I I, I don't. I, it's kind of janky, isn't it? Like the way that that's set up. Uh, I feel like add image size would be better off having its own label or labels, sure. right? Um, but for now, this is the way Core does it. So I just followed, you know, followed its lead. Um, but I think really we should be using a different filter here because the names of the images in this list might not really make sense to be the same names as, as the one, the list where you're inserting an image. So you might need because right. the context is it almost it different. actually really seems like a great candidate for 
um, the add image size function to get extended to allow you to register labels and then display those labels. I think, yeah. And I think add image size might actually need to be completely, um, like the parameters need to be reworked because right now there's already three parameters. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not isn't all. There an, isn't there an args parameter on no, it? No, there isn't. That's that's what I I think. Oh, I, I think that needs to be proposed. Yeah, I think. that makes it way harder. Yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think add image size really should just be like the the ID of the image size and followed by arguments. F- followed by args. Yeah. 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 So, that would be way nicer for sure because that would is, then allow you to say like, okay, here's a label. Here's. Uh, yeah, lots of other stuff. Yeah, for it. I mean, maybe one, the better way to do it might be to create a new register image size that's in line with register post type and 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 the other register. Uh, that makes sense. And then add image size could just call that. Exactly. I think that that would work. Perfect case of where backwards compatibility matters. Yeah, exactly. Uh anyways, should we wrap it up? Yeah. So real quick. Um, is there anything coming up in the next couple of weeks that people should know about for you? For me? I don't think so. Um, any, any short-term releases? Uh, I don't think so, no. not. Uh, I mean, we might You're put out... You're on. Yeah, we might put out MigrateDB Pro in the next couple of weeks, uh, a, a small release, just a maintenance release. Sure. And, but we'll see. I, I, I don't think so. You? Um, aside from ED 2.3, which will hopefully go out within two weeks, um, not much. Uh, if you're coming to PrestigeConf, come say hi. Um, I will be there along with the rest of the EDD team. So awesome. We'd love to chat with anybody who's there. Cool. All right. Thanks, everyone, for chiming in. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>